Welcome to Totems, a live interview series that focuses on the African perspective and experience of design, innovation, and creativity, featuring guest experts curated by Turi Pamwe. Join us as we seek out informed and inspiring conversations while building a network of African dreamers, thinkers, makers, and doers. On our first episode, we're joined by Seno Namwandi, an intellectual property professional from Namibia and a self-confessed idea protector. Seno recently completed her MBA with the University of Cape Town, where she served as class president. Seno has worked with the International University of Management, where she has served as the Director of Innovation and Intellectual Property. And she's also the youngest director on the board of BIPA, the Business Intellectual Property Authority in Namibia. And in 2018, she was selected as a Mandela Washington Fellow. Join us as we talk to Seno about innovation culture and the untapped value of IP in Africa. Hi, hi. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me, Tanya. I'm really excited. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for, for, saying, for saying yes and agreeing to, to this and to be our guinea pig. Um, I think that that's the thanks. Thank you for that. Because um, one thing that I've learned my, in my year of innovation is that don't go for perfect. Just go for, just go for it. And you can always iterate mm-hmm. along the way. And I think mm-hmm. as, as creatives and as people who create knowledge with our minds, it's like sometimes we want this thing to be perfect. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, so thank you for, for joining us and um, indulging Very my welcome. crazy idea. Um, no, yeah. I'm, it's not crazy. It's amazing. And I'm also... Uh, very grateful for the introduction. It was warm. I'm kind of glad that there was a little bit of white noise because I always get a little uncomfortable with my bio being read. Because <laughs> it makes, I, I feel like, who, who are they talking about? But um, yeah, me yeah. apparently. Yeah, so I'm very excited. Um, yeah, you know how passionate I am about innovation and IP and and I'm incredibly passionate about this continent, so let's go. I'm, I, I, I hope I'm ready for you as much as I can. Yeah, let's, let's go for it. And I think that, um, you know, there was, in, in me preparing for this, I kind of had these sort of headlines looking at like a very high level uh, context of innovation. I didn't even realize that there are things like a global innovation ranking and that unfortunately yes. Namibia or fortunately um, ranks very low on those particular rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I see that we're mm-hmm. 100 out of um, 113 There's around the 30 world. Ca- yes. Um, and that there are like 80 indicators for, for innovation to, to measure innovation. And, you know, I think in my mind, it was always like kind of, I had the creative industries like as a kind of, uh, sort of a bracket, if you will. And then I realized, but, you know, that includes um, scientific inventions, the, um, the number of IPs that are filed, technology. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just like, okay, 
So let me, let me not try and understand too much about this on, on my own research, but engage you rather on yeah. it. So perhaps let's just start with you first to give us a bit of context and then we can kind of go global and then more specific. Um, but how did you end up in this space? How do you find yourself here? How did I find myself in IP? <laughs> Yeah. Very interesting story. It is this, this, the story of academic struggle. <laughs> so I studied um, BSc Molecular Biology and Biotechnology at Stellenbosch University. Um, so many, very few people know that I'm actually a scientist by profession. Eh? Um, I worked with chemicals and test tubes and pipettes, petri dishes, agar for five long years. Um, and I was just very fortunate that at Stellenbosch University, we did intellectual property as a module. They were very particular about scientists understanding patents. And so um, we had uh, an engineer actually teach us intellectual property. He was a patent attorney, um, engineering, and then did a, a legal degree. And I remember 10 minutes into the lecture, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not a scientist. I want to do what this guy is doing. And so I was really um, intrigued. He was such an amazing lecturer. I actually ended up working with him um, on, a, on a project for NAST, um, like a couple of years later, he didn't, firstly, he didn't remember me um, from, from university. And he says that he's like, I, I don't know what I said to you to make you so passionate about IP. I'm like, you were passionate, you know, you were, you were great. He was such a great lecturer. So um, I didn't, uh, the academic struggle that I mentioned was just me not being able to qualify to get into honors. And so I decided to branch out into intellectual property as a profession itself. And I did a couple of uh, postgraduate certificates through UNISA, through the World Intellectual Property Organization, which I can explain in a bit. And then I, yeah, I just felt like the technical part of my science degree really paired up very well with IP, which a lot of people don't know that most patent attorneys are either scientists or engineers. And in some parts of the world, um, particularly in the UK and in the US, you cannot be a patent attorney without a technical degree. So I'm so many people are like, oh my gosh, Seno, I don't know what you do. You're in science, then you're in IP, then you have business. I'm like, it all comes together, multidisciplinary um, thinking. They all come, they all, all degrees have a purpose. All three of them have a purpose and they serve my ability to understand the entire value chain of an idea. So from the critical skills and the ideation, which I know you are passionate about and what Turipamwe does with design thinking, all the way to commercialization. I am applicable in every stage, um, every step of the way in the value chain of an idea. So that's how I became passionate about it. And I was very fortunate to sit on the board of BIPA uh, for four years where I got to be, um, to have a voice and to contribute to Namibia's IP legislation, which has been really good. Um, I think a lot of people, again, do not know, which is, I mean, with fair reason. So there's a lot that's, that's really on par globally with Namibia's um, IP legislation. And, um, you know, when I was on the board, we really did quite a bit of review work, um, making sure that we were updating the legislation from apartheid era to make it more relevant to now. Um, our, oldest, our oldest patent clause is 1906, 
for those who are interested. <laughs> so was really all like very outdated stuff. Um, so we did quite a bit of review and, you know, Namibia's legislation is really on par with, um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I guess that's the, the major part of my interest in, and um, yeah, my passion. So I've, I've had quite a bit of experience with legislation um, in terms of intellectual property, but my interest is where the money's at. I'm one mm -hmm. of those people. So I'm quite, I'm quite a commercially technical IP professional because it, I think it's more important, like to me, it's just a lot more important um, because I think many people don't know that intellectual property is actually uh, costed as an expense to a company. And so when you spend something on, 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 when you spend money on something in a company, you want to be able to have a return on investment. And that's why I'm mm. very passionate about the commercial side of intellectual property, because I understand that for companies, it's an expense. And when you, when you, when you spend, you want to know where your money's going and you know why you want to know why your money's going there. So I, I want, yeah. I hope that's a, a big enough answer to how I got in. I, lo I love that because I think it also, you've touched a lot on how, I think how both broad and specific the applications of IP is. Um, and, and I think during this kind of work to be able to, for example, to be able to improve global rankings, because if we, you know, um, if we look at those rankings, for example, there's not a single African country in in even the top 20, I had to go look. So South Africa, I think is the, it ranks as 61. I'm just looking at my, mm -hmm. my notes here. So on the African continent, it's South Africa at number 61, Kenya at 85, and then um, Tanzania at 90. Um, and to do, I would imagine to do the kind of work to be able to increase on these rankings means being able to work on those 80 indicators and like you had said it has everything to do from legislation to you know the kinds of policies that are available for example in the space of business innovation and are businesses spending money on um you know getting ip filed so it's not like it's just a single thing that you just tweak here and and not that at all improve it it's really this like overarching um, kind of ecosystem of, it's like you have to shift a, like a, I suppose like a, this huge thing that you have to shift forward to be able to improve those rankings. But I think also for, um, if I think about like entrepreneurs to be able to, um, I guess like kind of um, have that impact they work on a real level. Right, right. And, and sorry, sorry to have interrupted you. I, I wanted to add that I think one of the, the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about, obviously, because it's my profession, is why do, why do we look the way we do in terms of our innovation rankings, in terms of our IP filings, in terms of just the entire ecosystem, as you said. And my answer, which, I mean, I'll be a little bit biased and say that I'm pretty sure that I'm right, <laughs> But, but I guess everybody, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm right. But I think, you know, that's why we have these discussions so that we can learn more, right? Um, but one of our biggest challenges, Tanya, is, is our economic system on the continent. Um, 
the the reason I say that if if you can hear me out is intellectual property is a legal matter, right? So so everything that has to do with intellectual property is based in the law. So where there is a law um, and, a, and a right that is ascribed by a government to an individual, there has to be a remedy to fix the right when it's infringed. And one of the things that the continent has done such an exceptional job in is making sure that our legislation regarding IP and innovation is at the global standard. But now everybody has stopped there and says that the policy and the legis legislation, the regulations in all the countries, whether they're WIPO states or not, and I'll explain what WIPO is in a minute. Again, I did say that I haven't forgotten. Um, but just that, you know, we've all stopped there. But the problem is that because intellectual property is a legal thing, people leave it in law. But it's a very highly economic driven thing. What do I mean by that? The whole notion of intellectual property is making sure that what you have created belongs to you legally. And it also gives you the exclusive right to use and attribute economic gain from it. So the whole point is Beyonce has copyright over Sasha, is this Sasha Fierce? Because she wanted to be able to sell the album so that she can make money, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, th that, is, that is what it is. And the whole, the whole idea behind intellectual property is being able to say what's mine is mine. And I said this in my TEDx talk with UNAM, is that it is, it's a fence around your house to, to demarcate ownership and to demarcate where the ownership and the boundary lines fall. Now, why do I say that that's a problem on the continent when it comes to the economics? Because of our culture, which I absolutely love and respect in all different, you know, contexts, but we, we don't necessarily have a very like like a I want to almost say selfish egotistic need to own our inventions right mm -hmm. and and when our inventions or our creations are appropriated by other parts of the world we don't come to the party with the same aggression to to say hey you broke into my house we sort of even just opened the gate for everyone. We're like, hey, you know, check my mansion out. Come in, you know, take whatever you want. And, and that's how we've been with most of the innovations on the continent. So because we have a sharing culture and a sharing mindset and we don't have a healthy amount of ego to what we've created, the incentive for intellectual property dramatically decreases and then not only does it decrease, but then now even the ability to fight for it doesn't matter anymore. And so I, I, I make the example of a company like ONL. ONL, the last time I checked, has almost up to 68% market share in terms of NAM breweries, right? So if I were to go to a company like ONL and tell them, hey, I think you need to um, secure your intellectual property. These are the different types of intellectual property. And this is the advice that I would give you. This is the strategy. Their first, their first response will be like, I don't need it. I have 68% of the market. So it's okay. You know, I don't need IP. Who's going to come and challenge me? You know, that would be their response. And rightfully mm -hmm. so if they have 68% of the market. So because we have 
low like health like healthy amount of ego over what is ours um so the economics don't play out the same we're not fighting over ownership over things and so because of that 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 lack of economic dynamism i want to say where what tanya has created means food for her tonight mm -hmm. like it's a direct translation where a song or your artwork or your clothing designs means bread on the table we're not fighting each other for it and because we're not fighting each other for it we don't seem to feel like intellectual property is necessary and i don't blame us as a people it's the the economic dynamic whereas in mm -hmm. in the us and parts of the west um and in the east like east asia the asian countries the east you see that because there's this, there's so much competition you have to have intellectual property otherwise your idea is taken someone else's someone else will monetize it and that's it so mm -hmm. I, i i hope that like gives you so also an understanding that our intellectual property you know environment on the continent and our innovation rankings are not just about legislation it's about the lack of economic dynam dynamism we've seen because we're not fighting each other everybody's just sort of like man okay we're just very laxadaisical about everything um so if if we're looking for example within the this context of the african free trade agreement and the opportunities that that would create um for for this type of economic um environment to be able to leverage um why these types of policies or frameworks are useful what is then the missing the missing gap if we're saying okay we've got the legislation legally those things are all sorted and namibia through the work that you've been doing like we've been pushing to get there then what's the missing with missing part and how can we participate more actively in being able to to leverage those opportunities so i think the missing part for me in my opinion from where i'm looking at things is it's just the cultural dynamic as well so we we don't always um we don't have a very high affinity towards failure as africans which is fair and fine um we we are driving development and with driving development comes this intense desire for high performance and so i i like taking innovation back to the family setup so at home your parents your guardians who was whoever was responsible for raising they were so fixated on get good grades get good grades so that you can get into university get into university so that you can get a job and when you when you are so fixated on performance it within the mm -hmm. family setup um that also drives the culture of the country and then it drives the culture of the continent so mm -hmm. for example even our legislation towards bankruptcy in namibia it's so expensive to file for bankrupt bankruptcy and something as simple as having good bankruptcy laws encourages like a liking to failure so that means i can start a business i can fail and i'm not going to be ostracized from society because of that um so for me the missing link in us being able to contribute to a higher innovation um ranking to a higher innovation environment is just to start getting comfortable with failure right mm -hmm. um you are you are going to make a product that is going to fail um there not every company is able 
to hit it right off the bat with the correct product to market fit. And um, I recently read that the, I think they said that the, the garage startup is dead. Now we have moved to the bedroom startup. And it's because um, we no longer need to focus so much on a product to market fit. We need to focus on a product to audience fit. So because mm. we, we have this amazing ability to be so in touch with our audience, we have that chance to have the audience, you know, prototype with us as we go along, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think if we, if we open ourselves to failure and from a legislative perspective, if we open laws to allow failure, mm -hmm. I think we could, we would be able to encourage people to try more and in trying more, we'll get one win, right? Mm. So that, that's just my thought. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. Wow. Um... I enjoyed that you touched on culture and sort of this concept of like the way that we do things around here. And it just sort of took me back to even thinking about school or a kind of the pressure that you had in your family to, to have to succeed, you know, that they, there is no chance for like failure is not an option. And, and I don't mean that as in like a, a motivating sort of like, yay, <laughs> um, kind of thing but it's just like this is the only opportunity and like we're giving this everything and um if we look back at like the struggle like that you know our family has had to gone through to get you here like you you better make it work um so having said that like how do we encourage or create spaces whether it's a, a corporate culture or a an ecosystem culture to encourage failure and say um you know hey here's my here's my fuck up for lack of a better um word. yeah and this is what i learned this is what i learned from it because i think that that's again the other thing that we've also seen at turi pamwe is this idea of it doesn't have to be perfect let's test because of um I think who was it, Auri Evokari, who is a growth consultant that we work with. So this idea that failure is data, which is like a, it's a different, um, yeah. it's a different take on problem solving. So if it failed yeah. this way, what is this telling me about my audience or my product or whatever insight I, I might have to be able to then iterate and improve on, on doing it differently? Um, so I like that idea that it's almost like that failure is kind of like, that's what you get when you're in a system that supports failure or encourages yes. it. Um, yes. And I think when we come from little, like there isn't an option to fail. Um, so what can we then do to foster a culture of failure, not from a point where we accept that mediocrity, but that we... Um, that, yeah, that we encourage it as a kind of a mindset in pursuit mm -hmm. of better ideas. It's a difficult question, Tanya, because on one hand, I was busy saying that, you know, Namibia and Africa is, has exceptional intellectual property legislation. We have so many good, you know, pieces of regulation that, you know, speak to innovation. That's, that's been great. But now the flip side of it is that we don't have 
great legislation when it comes to bankruptcy. That's number one. I've already said something. And failure costs money. Okay, so I'm not I'm not ignorant of the fact that our our dislike of failure it it saves us money, right? Um, and so I think one of the biggest things is ensuring that they are environments that have the resources and I don't just mean money like even people um, so just having the necessary resources that encourage trial and error because trial and error re leads to innovation right so it's a it's one of those things where if we can foster an environment where you know children are, are, are allowed to tinker and twinkle with toys and figure out you know why things work out the way they do um, and they break something that that isn't like, oh, that was going to be our bread money for tomorrow, you know? So I think, I think if we have the resources, like elastic resources around those places, and that, that can even look like the education system, which I'm also super passionate about because education provides the environment where knowledge can circulate and transform and then mm. is then fed into innovation systems, right? So we're looking at schools that, that have, you know, robotics in their curriculum or schools that have playrooms, um, schools that foster different types of um, pursuits in the arts um, and allowing those resources which are, you know, universal to the student population at the school to really break and try and error and, you know, have that encouragement and have it not be linked to our livelihood. Anything that's linked to our livelihood, we're not, we're not going to be flexible about. I'm not going mm. to be flexible with something that is linked to my ability to have a meal, to have a roof over my head, to have clothing on my back. But if, if I can detach, if I can detach my resources from the trial and error that is innovation, I think that will foster a very good ecosystem. And, and then also, um, I, I do think that I'm very excited about the Africa Free Trade Agreement because I'm timing that it's going to be the thing that's going to tip us over into innovation and tip us over into the need for intellectual property because now not only will you be a Namibian hair product um, provider right or business you're going to have to not only compete with the other namibian hair product businesses now you're going to have to compete with the entire sadek okay yes. you're going to have to compete with the rest of the continent so what will be my for me as a customer why should i choose you as a natural mm -hmm. hair product company as opposed to a company like one in ghana that i can now still pay so once i think some of these you know, platforms are enabled. So our ability to pay intercontinentally online for me to be, one of my biggest frustrations, I can't believe I can't order tea from Kenya. Like it just blows my mind that I can't order tea from Kenya. I can't have, you know, coffee from Ethiopia. I can't have shea butter from Ghana because I can't mm -hmm. pay online and have it sent to me in a reliable manner and it's just so if you go that route it's just so expensive so once mm. all these little platforms start like clicking into place i know the namibian government i think two or three years ago looked at the electronic payment bill 
once those things start getting kicking into place, I think our innovation rankings are going to increase and also our intellectual property filings, because now you're going to be competing amongst um, the rest of the continent. So that's, that's exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for all of that. Because I think, again, it's like you realize how all of these things are connected and it's not not working or doing things in, in isolation. Um, and, you know, I like it's just sort of the respect for the law is that that it takes long to get to a space because someone has had to draft it and rethink it. And um, while innovation is such a, it moves so quickly, right? Like ideas are just, yeah, they move very quickly. So the pace, I think the pace of these two things being able to meet each other at like a kind of an intersection where, um, I suppose like where we say like, yes, okay, we do improve our rankings because of all of this. Like it's, it's a lot that needs to converge and make like a, a massive, a massive shift forward. Yeah, it um, does. Um, yeah, do you want to, us to address questions that are popping up? Or do we save yes, that for I the end? I was just looking, looking at that. Um, so JC has asked, um, how can we make people at the grassroots level more aware of this information? So I think that, more in, that, and then quite interestingly, you shared a few days ago about how san communities in south africa have been able to um benefit um yes with payments that have come in from things like rooibos and buhu um yes. and devil's claw because these are indigenous knowledges um mm -hmm. so yes yeah, so i guess like number one how how can we share this information on a more practical level for regular people to be able to use but also how can we include um, and how can indigenous communities benefit more from their indigenous knowledge, which is essentially intellectual property? Right. Um, so to answer the first question, I, I think why I've been so quick to take on opportunities like this one that you've offered me um, is to just to bring down the, the level of language of what intellectual property is. Um, I tell people, you know, it's very complicated. The, cop the copyright law is long. The Industrial Property Rights Act is long. Um, not everybody understands what piracy means, what infringement means, what remedies mean, what fines mean or penalties. Mm -hmm. And so the first step to making it accessible to people at the grassroots is to speak to them in their language about what intellectual property is. And intellectual property is just a fence. It's a fence that you put around your home. That's what I say. Your home is your idea. The intellectual property is the fence. The fence protects. It demarcates ownership. And if you have an elaborate fence, it adds to the value of the home, right? So when, when we have real estate agents and, and you know, bank valuators, et cetera, they value not only the home, but they value the fence itself as well. So that's what intellectual property is. So being able to speak to people in a language that they can understand is the first step in making intellectual property well, well known to a, a, a wider group of people. Mm -hmm. um, the second question that you asked is, is how do we, you know, help, um, you know, people at like, you know, traditional communities and industrial indigenous knowledge 
being able to be formalized into intellectual property where it benefits them. I mean, at the end of the day, I think this example of the sun people with Roy Boss tea is one of my absolute favorites and, and also Hudia, the story of Hudia, because I think it exemplifies where intellectual property actually adds value to people in actual real monetary terms. And I had so many people respond to that post of mine and they were like, that's nothing. 12.1 million is nothing. That's they're robbing the sun people. And then I had to keep saying it's an annual payment. They're going to get 12.1 million and it's subject to increase annually going forward, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a once off payment. And so I think when we can showcase examples like that and showing people that intellectual property means actual money, that is 12.1 million for that, that's, that community in the Northern Cape where they're now going to use that money to build a community clinic. They're going to use the money to build um, and, and to improve on the infrastructure that they have for the, the community schools. Um, there's just going to be a lot of use that's going to come from that annual payment going forward that is going to be administered through their council. So I think when we, when we use examples like that and show people that you know, a trademark means money. It's an it's actual cash um, for yeah. improvement. I think that's when the incentive will grow, will 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 increase. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, a real tangible mm -hmm. thing that's real. Right. Um, I love I I love that example. And um, okay, I'm just going back through the comments. Um, you guys are welcome to, to add your questions in the, the question box. Um, so another one from JC is then, would, would, would you both then say that we don't have an innovation culture which has a lot of failure because we lack resources? I would say yes. Mm. The simple answer to that is yes. Um, I think resources make it comfortable for people to fail. Um, as I said, if you de-link, if you de-link trial and error from my livelihood, I'm going to be enjoying, you know, tinkering with something and have it break and tinkering again and have it break if I knew that it didn't impact my livelihood. Um, I absolutely detest the notion that Africans are not innovative. I don't like any narrative about the levels of our creativity it has nothing to do with that it has everything to do with our ability to channel the creativity and our innovativeness into real commercial gain that's the challenge that we have mm -hmm. and 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 i'm you know even then the challenge isn't what it was a decade ago or two decades ago that have Mm 
Yeah. I'm here. Sorry. There's there's like a spinning a spinning little circle on on your side. Um, time froze for a bit. Are you still there? Okay. Great. Mm. Um, a UN body that many people don't know about. So just like we have the international labor law, we have the World Health Organization, we also have an intellectual property organization um, that is a UN affiliated body and it's called the World Intellectual Property Organization. So the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO mm -hmm. for short, um, is responsible across the continent states have a minimal level of intellectual property legislation. So Namibia is a signatory to WIPO. So it means that on an annual basis, mm -hmm. we are audited in terms of the type of intellectual property laws, making sure that we are compliant globally with everything on standard. Um, and then second to that, Namibia is also a signatory to the Africa Regional Intellectual Property Office, a repo that is stationed in Harare, Zimbabwe. And also, again, we are audited on an annual basis to make sure that we're in compliance with the laws there. Um, I like to explain this, um, if, if I'm allowed to, um, to further my descriptions of intellectual property. Um, intellectual property, as I said, is a fence. And there are different types of fences, right? So you have chicken mesh, you have fences that are made from wood, you, are, you have fences that are made from brick and concrete, you have combination fences. So in the same way, there are different types of fences in intellectual property. There are seven that we, that we work with right now, seven different streams um, of intellectual property. So we have patents, there are trademarks, copyright, industrial design, geographical indication, indigenous knowledge and traditional knowledge. Um, and I think I'm missing one, utility models, yes. So all of those are different types of intellectual property. And the different types of intellectual property are applicable in different contexts. So for example, the COVID vaccine was governed by a patent. The different mm -hmm. types of COVID vaccines that we were seeing, the different names, so Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, um, Sinopharm, all the different types of names that were coming along, those were governed by the different names are governed by trademarks. And then when we have artists, so, you know, like Lioness, she's an amazing Namibian artist. All her music is protected under copyright, which is a different type of um, intellectual property. Um, my glasses, your glasses are governed by the intellectual property industrial design. The different types of chairs that we get um, is, in, um, you know, industrial design. Um, mm -hmm. Champagne, tequila, different types of whiskeys, um, rooibos, hoodia, um, you know, Ethiopian coffee, all of that is intellectual property that falls under geographical indication. So we mm -hmm. say that, you know, things that are, are made naturally in a certain geog geography have those attributes because of the geography. So if I were to, to grow Kenyan tea in Namibia, it wouldn't taste the same because Namibia's soil, 
composition and environment is completely different to Kenya's. So that's, that's a type of intellectual property that we have. And then now traditional knowledge, which is the example that I used of, of Roy Boss um, and Hudia. So all those are different types of intellectual property. You can have one product that has all of them. It is possible. So like a bottle of tequila, what's a, I don't drink, so I don't know the names. Bombay, is Bombay tequila? No, that's a, that's a gin. That's a gin, oh my bad, see? So a tequila, <laughs> a business name with a tequila, 808. Okay, let's say Omega. No, 818. I'm also like, I, I, I 818. Tequila. <laughs> 818 is a tequila. So 818 is a tequila that is governed by geographical indication and it's governed by a trademark and the bottle is governed by industrial design. The Coca-Cola bottle is mm. protected by trademark and industrial design. The logo is protected by trademark and the Coke recipe is protected by trade secrets, which is a type of patent. Um, mm -hmm. So you do have products that have various streams of intellectual property in one product. And, and that's what makes it so lucrative, right? Um, I did share an interesting story today on my, on my status. So I want to explain it um, about Facebook that renamed its company to Metaverse and is shortened to Meta. And there's a company that had registered 12 years back and as Meta. So what happens with trademarks and world, I'm tying all of this together. So the World Intellectual Property Organization, repo, all these legislations, we try as best to be as harmonious as possible, but it's impossible, okay? It is impossible. So just think about it as, the same way as if you were to commit murder in Namibia, the type of penalty you will receive, um, the type of sentencing you would receive is completely different to the type of sentencing that you would receive in Australia, for example. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So yeah. we can both agree, both countries agree that murder is wrong. Both countries agree that that suspect or the person who has committed the murder has to go through the legal system. But how they will be sentenced and how long they will be sentenced for differs, okay? So keep that analogy in mind. So trademarks and the rest of intellectual property falls subject to the same issue. So we can agree on certain uniform laws, but how those laws are applied, the duration varies from country to country. So what happened with Metaverse, what I'm suspecting could have happened is um, you have to do your due diligence as a company when you are um, filing for a trademark. So when you file for the trademark, the trademark office or the patent IP office will tell you, we're sorry, we cannot accept this because there is another company that is in this, that has this name in this business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know this is going to be a bit complicated, but just stay with me. Um, so trademarks, <laughs> trademarks have two different types of indications. You can have a trademark for a product company and you can have a, a trademark for a service company. Those are two different things. And yeah. under those two different categories, we have even more categories. So we have trademarks for cosmetics. We have trademarks for food. We have trademarks for physical goods, and we've broken physical goods into different types of goods. 
So when you apply for a trademark, you have to actually designate all of that, that you are applying. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to use the metaverse example. So this company Meta, Meta applied to be a, an electronic company for their name Meta, and they were dealing in products of virtual reality and augmented reality. So VR and AR. That's this company. So here comes Facebook. And Facebook decides to rename its company to Metaverse. Mm -hmm. They file under the same category as this other company, which I absolutely cannot see how that happened unless they just didn't care and decided to go on with the filing mm -hmm. irrespective of what the patent office was telling them because I have colleagues at the USPTO. Those people work hard. I know there's yeah. nobody who just let that slide. I, I just refuse to believe that mm -hmm. someone would let that slide. Um, so because they, they applied for a trademark under the same category, that is what makes it infringement. So here's the interesting thing. If I, in Namibia, were to create a scarf line, scarves. I like scarves. A scarf line and I decided to call it meta. I could get away with that because mm -hmm. first and foremost, I'm not in the US. And secondly, I have applied for the trademark in a clothing designation, not in an mm -hmm. electronic one. And so this is where all the little nuances of in, like intellectual property comes in. And that's what makes it interesting because of all these little nuances, there are companies that try and, you know, outsmart the legislation. They try to outsmart their professionals. And that's why we have all these fun cases for me to read about and learn about. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my long story. And and use them as 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 case studies. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's. I would just imagine, so Meta Original taking new Metaverse to court for a copyright infringement and winning. Imagine that. Um, imagine that. So I doubt they will. Mm -hmm. I do doubt they will. Yeah. I, my suspicion, and I'm glad that we have an audience <laughs> so that we can go back to this day and say that I was right. Um, my suspicion is that they will settle out of court just because, yeah, it's just, it'll yeah. be too complicated. Yeah, it's too complicated. I don't think either company is willing to, to change. Um, mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of branding yeah. and money that has gone in. You know, you know this, you're, you do branding. There's a ton of money that has gone into rebranding mm -hmm. Facebook to Metaverse. So they're not going to change the name. I don't yeah. think this other company is going to cave. So I think what they'll do is they will battle it out from a perspective of the amount of money this other company has lost due to confusion. Facebook mm -hmm. will pay them and we'll live happily ever after. Yeah. And I guess it's like you said, like Facebook doesn't care, even though right now we're on a meta platform. Um, 
doing this live that uh, they, can, <laughs> they can afford they can afford to to, to they do can this. afford not to care i i don't say yeah. that in a bad way when i say that they don't care i don't mean it in a bad way it's just yeah facts you know it's like i'm bigger than you i'm a company that's bigger than you so yeah what are you gonna do about it what are you gonna do and i think maybe like let's let's take that back to like an extremely practical um point of view back here in the Namibian context and the African context. I had to laugh because these days when, when we work on um, brands and corporate identities for clients, like my first question is, is this a registered name with BIPA? You know, like, um, good. Cause I hate to go through all of this effort. You're investing in a beautiful corporate identity design only to discover that the name isn't available. Um, but practically speaking, how do we use all of the knowledge that you've imparted onto us tonight? Because I know that there are, they're both, they're entrepreneurs that are listening to us. They are creatives, um, musicians. Um, practically, what, what do we do? Like, is it time for me to go register Turi Pamwe as, as a trademark? I don't even know yeah. if, I, if I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can by the way, you absolutely can register it as a trademark. So yeah, the, the first step is, um, I, would, I would hope that the people who are entrepreneurs on this, on this live would go back and look at their businesses and try and assess if they have any intellectual property. Um, that's the first question to ask yourself is, do I have any intellectual property? And if I do, is it secure? And if not, um, how do I secure it? And, and BIPA is the custodian of intellectual property um, on the, on, I mean, in the country. And where BIPA is not able to further application, because I know, for example, our issue is patent examiners in the country. I think currently we don't have any. I stand mm -hmm. to be corrected, but we don't have technical patent examiners. So a lot of the time what BIPA does is they involve um, a law firm in, the, um, in Cape Town called Spore and Fisher. And then we also rely on our African IP office, so Aripo in Zimbabwe, because they have patent examiners. So we send the, the, the applications to them and they help us process it and it's, it comes back and we get the certificates, et cetera. So, so there's a lot that can be done for, from, for you. And for the people who are looking at their businesses and wanting to diversify revenue, um, mm -hmm. I definitely recommend developing intellectual property as a means to an additional revenue stream. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is when you have IP, you can license that for money to other companies. Um, and, and that's where the, the whole commerce part of intellectual property really interests me is, is how can you, how you share your IP with other companies and how you make money from that. So if mm. I, I do encourage you if, you, if you're looking at your business and you're like, I don't have any intellectual property, develop some and develop mm. it from, from the perspective of, I want to sell this to someone holistically or I want to share this with a company to make sure that it's an additional revenue stream for my company as I do other things, other, as I run um, other products or make other products and run other services. Actually, that's what I meant to say. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know if, if that's good. To... I, 
I like that. I think um, I'll set up a team meeting next week. <laughs> Create that intellectual property, y'all. It makes money. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, yeah. And then maybe like finally, um, I was sort of, I've been thinking about, and that was one of the questions that I had, this culture of innovation and IP and a kind of like a collective intelligence um, so while IP, it's about protecting ideas, like on the other spectrum, we've got creative commons and open mm -hmm. source mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. knowledge just being available for everybody to use and implement and iterate with. Um, and I'm just like, how do I phrase this question? But, you know, the relationship between these between two, the two things mm -hmm. and where they sit on a spectrum in a way that is valuable or useful to us. Um, do you have any just, and even if they just thoughts um, about how we reconcile these two kind of polarities almost when it comes to innovation and the value of ideas being, being shared or either protected? Tanya, that is a huge debate, huge debate amongst IP professionals. Um, you mentioned in the beginning that I was a Mandela Fellow. So I got to, I got to work for um, a Fortune 500 company for six weeks in Philly. And um, I worked in the IP department. <laughs> and I'll never forget, we had an, a meeting with the, create, with the open source director. Yes, we had... so. I have patent attorneys with me and technical IP people and then this open source specialist. And I remember the meeting was super diplomatic. And the minute the open source director left, the patent attorneys are like, we're not going to make use of her. What? So <laughs> I found it so funny. So they were being completely fake during the meeting. The minute she walked out, they were just trashing everything about open source. So there is, that's just to give you a practical example that the, like the two professions are seemingly clashing. Um, and they are people like you and I who are trying to bring the two polarities, as you say, like in synergy to work with one another. And where I will say that is possible is you can use the creative commons to create intellectual property that is unique to you that is commerce the commerce benefit that you will get is solely yours but it's something that was spurned on by something you got in the creative commons if that makes sense so mm -hmm. obviously not taking something from the creative commons as is and replicating it not that but taking it yeah. and using it as a reiterative process in your own innovation process, um, create a product, you know, make a service that will then lead to intellectual property that's unique from you. So that's how mm -hmm. I would marry the two. And mm -hmm. I think a good example for everybody to just bring this right home is how the E used America's patents to find loopholes for their own innovation because patents become public documents. So mm -hmm. right now you can go onto Google, you can list down Apple's patents, Metaverse's patents, um, Mercedes patents, you can, all of those patents and you can read them, they're public knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what Singapore, countries like Singapore, the Koreas, Japan, they took that information and they tried to find loopholes to innovate. Mm -hmm. 
and reverse mm. engineer. Um, reverse engineering is a thing. And that for me is the marriage between the two. So you have companies like Samsung now that have been created that come, you know, in direct competition to Apple mm -hmm. for so many reasons. And, and that was a result of, you know, reverse engineering, looking at patents, re like reiterative processes with the patents from Apple, et cetera. So, yeah, I think there's a place for both. I don't think they're polar opposites, even though they're fighting and just for mm -hmm. interest's sake, there's also a fight within IP between technology and pharmacology and ph the pharma industry. There's a huge fight mm -hmm. between the two because IT and everything of the computer and all the computer professionals are asking for loose protection of intellectual property, whereas the, the pharmacy industry, the pharmaceutical industry is asking for tighter intellectual property. So there's also a battle between the two. And I believe that both of them can be satisfied, but that is a debate that is ongoing. <laughs> That's again, I think coming back to what, where we started with like these intersections and on how much this touches and the debates within the space. And I mean, again, I was just thinking about COVID, how that was a thing and how you know, we were thinking vaccines and then, no, like who owns the patent around the vaccine? And I'm like, people are dying and we're talking about who owns, who owns the rights to a vaccine. Like that's messed up. Yeah. That's science. Yeah. Those are scientists yeah. for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I can't even, yeah, I can't even excuse it. Just my apologies globally. <laughs> but um, in the case of vaccines, with patents, um, the World Trade Organization had um, a declaration, and I, I do forget the year, I forget whether it was 94 or 96, that mm. spoke about the issue of pandemics and epidemics. And in those instances, that intellectual property had to be waived in the best interest of the, the global village at large. And so yeah. that, that's why um, we saw that the IP fight with the vaccines didn't last long because it was shut mm -hmm. down because it was now declared a Doha declaration entity that mm -hmm. because we have so many people dying, no, we can't be fighting about who owns the IP. Yeah. Yeah. Because hum literally like humanity is at stake. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I mean, we saw Biden's administration wave a lot of IP as well. They waived quite a bit of IP in the name of the Do Doha Declaration to make sure that vaccines were so accessible. Um, and, and I think one of the unfortunate things is that the African continent is at a disadvantage in terms of our ability to argue these cases because mm -hmm. we just don't have the professionals who argue the cases. Um, so we, are, we often end up being on the losing end of, of, of you know, pharmaceutical agreements just because there's mm -hmm. nobody to say, hey, where's the Doha Declaration? Why isn't this being instituted? And um, mm. yeah, I, I, it's, it's a pity. And I guess that's a, another reason why I'm so passionate about this, because I think that yes. we're on the losing end for no reason. We don't need mm. to be on the losing end. So we're getting there, hopefully. We're getting there, yeah. Yeah. Catching up. yeah. Um, any, any parting thoughts? 
on on this like super cool conversation we've had tonight um yeah i think just again demystifying the issues of innovation and intellectual property is so important not thinking that it's something high and above you um i think for anyone who's listening on the live a saturday morning 45 minutes just scrolling on wipo's website will just leave you super insightful and and a lot of it is is really not that difficult so i i really mm. my parting words of wisdom is don't think that this is above you it's not um you you can learn it it's it's a language that you need to learn but it's one that is learnable um mm -hmm. and i think that it's important for for us to learn it especially going forward if we want not to be taken advantage of and and beyond that to create economic gain for ourselves so so that's those are my parting words yeah i love that and i think that that's you know why we decided to to have this kind of platform and and share this thinking and um, I so value your time and expertise in you guiding us through, I think, some really creative insights to help discuss some very, like, broad and complicated subject matter. So I appreciate you. And, it's my um, pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you, Tanya. Thank, thank you, you so for much. this opportunity. Thank you so much thank for you. this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. Yeah. To our, to our creative community, thank you so much. There are many names that I don't recognize on here, which I feel like is a good thing. Um, gonna reach out to you guys. And I just also wanted to thank um, JC, um, who has helped me to, to organize this. Um, we're gonna try and do these at least twice a month. Um, and yeah, um, to, just to share more of this. So thank you so much, Seno. I'm wishing you a great evening ahead. Thank you very much, Tanya. You too. And um, yeah, if anyone has further questions, please feel free to contact me. I'm everywhere on, on social media. I'm happy to help. Always happy to help. Tanya knows that's my slogan. Yes, okay. this is true. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you. You're so welcome. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Good night. Thanks for tuning into Totems. The show was conceptualized by Tanya Straw and edited by Jean-Claude Chitamunisa and Enrico Gawanap. Monthly episodes of Totems will be published on our website at turipamwe.com or you can listen via your favorite podcast platform.